You can be seated. Thank you for being here this morning. I look forward to sharing with you the final episode in Divine Direction. Okay? Have you gotten a pretty good grip on where you're going? <laughs> okay, I sense I sent some ambivalence here. So, in that case, let me remind you that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've given him control of your life, he has a plan for you. And he has a plan for you. And a lot of times we think that we've kind of reached the end of that plan. But God always reveals more for you. So if you've kind of accomplished something that you believe God wants you to do, I want you to keep listening for him because he's going to lead you to do something more. How many of you know how to eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Okay, one bite at a time. Remember, the elephant will never be eaten until you leave this planet. So keep eating. I don't know how far we can take this analogy. But, uh, you know, I want you to keep pursuing God and keep pursuing the plan that he has for your life. This morning, we're going to be concluding. And and really, the message today is how to do something big. Have you ever wanted to do something big, but you just don't know how to do it? You know, and a lot of times we get paralyzed, you know, when we just imagine doing something big. But today, I want you to start thinking about I could do something big in this life. I could do something big for God's kingdom. I could do something bigger than I've ever done in my life if I just follow two simple steps. Okay, here we go. I want you to take a step of faith today to do something you've probably been prompted by God to do, but have not believed that you were capable of doing it. How many of you have ever experienced that? You get this thought in your mind that says, man, I'd really like to do this. You know, and it, has a, it probably has a real detailed uh, description for it. You know, I'd like to, I'd like to make a homeless shelter. I'd like to make a women's shelter. I'd like to get involved in, in rescuing women from human trafficking. I'd like to do something big for God, but boy, it just seems monumental. And I don't know that I'd really be able to do that. Well, I'm going to read a couple of things to you here, uh, that I wrote down so that I wouldn't botch it. It says this, to step towards your destiny, you often have to step away from your security. How hard is that? How hard is it for us to step away from our security in order to accomplish our destiny? Most of us like it where it's just comfortable. Most of us like it where it's secure and safe. But sometimes to get to our destiny, what God really wants for us, we have to step away from our security. The second one is this. To step towards something new, you have to step away from something old. Yeah. And we get so trapped by the old, the predictable, the same old, same old, that we think that tomorrow is going to be just like today. And Tuesday is going to be just like Monday. Wednesday is going to be like Tuesday. And there's going to be nothing different. So we get trapped by that old routine. And once we get into routine, it is the killer. It is the basic killer of what God really wants to do in order to propel you toward the future. I believe that as you seek God's divine direction, he's going to lead you to start something entirely new for your life. Now, I'm going to just, I jotted down a bunch of stuff last night that I thought, maybe he wants you to lead a small group. We have a small group that meets at Sue's house on Tuesday nights. And as our congregation grows, we're going to need more of those. Because in small groups is where you really get connected with people. It's where you get to ask questions. It's where you get to share life. It's where you get to to know people and where you get to be known. You know, I was listening to the radio the other day, and it, it said this. To be loved and not be known is kind of superficial. Okay? To, lo- to be known and not loved is heartbreaking. 
But to be known and to be loved is like being loved by God. God knows you as you are, and he loves you nonetheless. A lot of times when we get to know people, you know, we don't like them so much. And so we know them, but we don't love them. And sometimes we love people, but we don't know them, and that's really pretty superficial, isn't it? So in small group is where you get to be known and where you get to know and nonetheless be loved for all that you are. Okay, so maybe it's to, to become a part of a small group or maybe to lead one. Okay, some people here, I believe, need to start a business. You know, a business that honors God, that is run by the principles of the Bible, that brings honor to him, employs people, and treats them properly. How many of you have ever been employed in a place where they didn't really respect you or value you? Yeah, we've all been there. What would it be like if we were in a Christian company and the leader of that was a Christian person and they loved you and they cared for you, they compensated you properly, they built into your life, and it would just be a whole different experience, wouldn't it? Maybe somebody's going to start a business. It might be as basic today as becoming a follower of Jesus Christ. Just saying, you know, that's my next step. That's what God's called me to do. He wants me to come, become a follower. He wants people to know about that. And then when I become a follower, I need to be baptized. Now, on August 26th, we're going to have baptism. Now, some of you say, how are we going to do that? Well, guess what? Cindy and I get to move to a house somewhere in the middle of August. And, and I'm speaking for her here. And she's right now cringing because that house is not going to be ready for baptism. But we're going to be outside. So, you know, just take that with a grain of salt. And I'm praying that God will do that. And I really want to start our new, you know, our new, really reinstating our old house and start it with glorifying God with baptism. And so if you need to be baptized, I want you to let me know because August 26th, that's your day. Okay. Maybe uh, you need to become a better husband, a better wife. And that's what God has for you. That's the big picture. A better son, a better daughter, a better husband, better wife, uh, a better kid. Okay. Maybe God wants you to become more generous. I read a book this last week, and I want you to jot this, the name of this book down. It's called The God Pocket. The God Pocket. You can, sit, you can read it in one sitting. I mean, it's not a long book. And it's by Bruce Wilkinson, or Wilkerson. Maybe it's Wilkerson. And what he does is he documents people who have set apart part of their money. They say, okay, I'm going to dedicate this money to God. And they put it in a special location, maybe a special place in their wallet. Some people have even gone so far by these, get these little pouches with zippers, and they put the money in there. And when they feel prompted by God, you know, when they're out in the community and somebody needs some help, they're prompted by God, they say, hey, I want you, I want you to have this. Now, it's not my money, so don't thank me. It's God's money. And he has prompted me to give this to you and just see what happens. The stories that he tells are amazing. He talks about how people say, oh, man, my mom and I were, were, were homeless and right now and we're about ready to get a house. And this money is the difference that we needed in order to get into this place. God provided it. Awesome. I think those things are happening around us all the time. We just don't know it because we don't get involved. And so read the God pocket. If God leads you to do that, man, it is an awesome experience. Today, we're going to go to lunch. And I want everybody here to go to lunch with us. We're going to buy your own lunch. We're going to go down to Athenian. We're going to have, you're going to buy lunch there, and we're going to leave whoever serves us a five hundred dollar tip. Okay. What if there's more than one server? Well, they're going to split it then. You know, they're going to let them deal with that. What God has placed on our hearts is to give five hundred dollars, and I hope that there's a story to be told. I hope she says, "Oh, you know what? 
man, I just went through this experience in life, and this is going to help tremendously toward that. Because God has arranged meetings for us and little interactions that we could participate in if we only would. Let's learn to take advantage of those. And today is going to be kind of an object lesson for us as a church to be able to do that. Now, what if she says nothing? What if she just says, huh, awesome. We still did what God wanted us to do, right? Okay, so let's, let's be uh, conscientious about following him. Uh, so maybe it's, like I said earlier, maybe somebody needs to start a woman's shelter, a drug, Christian drug rehab. Think about that. And I, I feel compelled to start a Christian drug rehab because there's so many rehabs out there, and all it does is kind of foster this ongoing uh, treatment thing that goes on and on and on and on for life. I'd like to have a treatment program where they come to grips with who God is, and they get off of drugs, and they, get, they graduate from rehab. Wouldn't that be a cool thing? You know, because a lot of rehab programs just go on and on and on and on. And I'm thinking that, you know, we, we need to have some of that. But, you know, what about a Christian drug rehab that really frees people at the end of it? What about a prison discipleship program? Somebody says, you know, I believe that, you know, we're called to, to reach prisoner, uh, people in, in prison and widows and that kind of thing, like the Bible says. And I want to start a prison ministry that teaches people how to follow God. You know, what about something like that? Now, what's the challenge there? You know, when I throw this all out there, it all sounds cool, huh? And I imagine it tickled some of your thought processes, and you said, oh, yeah, that would be wonderful. And, and, and right after you had that thought, there was a word that came up. It's three letters. It starts with a B and ends with a T. But, but, you know, and you had that thought, didn't you? But, and most of us get stymied from doing good things, big things, because we never get started. Nothing ever gets finished that doesn't get started. Ask Cindy. We have a house full of projects that are not done because they never got started. And the same is true for us when we follow God. Nothing ever gets done if it doesn't get started. Now, have you ever said these words, when I get around to it? You know, when I get around to it. Well, I hope today you're going to get around to it. Okay? Hopefully today you're going to start. In fact, I remember years ago in my church, we put out these little round things. They were little they were little cardboard things of circles cut out and we put these things on it and it said round to it. And so I said, how many of you ever want to get started? You know, ever said, you know, when I get around to it, well, here, here's your round to it, you know, get started, get off your dove. And then whenever you look at that, you say, oh yeah, I need to get started. I need to get going because we need to get started if we're ever going to get anything done. Now, I've been praying this week that some of you, in fact, I've prayed for all of you, that you would have a new vision in life for what God wants you to accomplish, for what God wants you to do, for what God wants you to become. And so I know that today he's going to reveal to some of you, because you're tuned in, he's going to reveal to you what he wants you to do and to become. Now, in order to really reinforce this thing we're talking about today, we're going to study a guy named Nehemiah. You probably know Nehemiah, though, but if you're new to church or you haven't gone very often, maybe we haven't discussed this since you've been here, let me give you a little bit about the backstory of Nehemiah. Nehemiah comes along in the process of the children of Israel uh, becoming God's people, and they had been called by God through Abraham to start a new nation, a new nation of Israel. And God said, I'm going to be your leader. I'm going to be the God of Israel. And what I want you to do is two things. Number one, I want you to obey me. Number two, I want you to worship me and only me. 
Yeah, I think, you know, that's really what we have been mandated to do as well, right? Obey God and worship him. Okay, obey God and worship him. Pretty, really pretty basic. Pretty basic when it comes down to being a follower of Jesus, follower of God. And so the children of Israel, they went through history uh, kind of pinging between the polar extremes of this following God and worshiping and then following other gods and worshiping them. And finally, God got upset with them. In fact, he had warned them ahead of time. He said, if you follow me and you obey me and you worship me, guess what's going to happen to you? You're going to be blessed. You're going to be blessed. You're going to be protected. You're going to be provided for. And everything's going to go well with you. Now, if you don't do those two things, then bad things are going to happen to you. You're going to you're going to suffer consequences. And part of those consequences are, are that, that you're going to no longer be under my protection and other nations are going to come and take you captive because you don't follow me. You don't get protected by me. And so he says, it's your choice. You know, I remember Joshua way back in the day. Joshua said, well, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You guys do what you want. But as far as I'm concerned... For me and my house, we will serve the Lord because he knew that's where protection was and he knew that's where provision was. And so he said that. Now, the children of Israel get to this point in time in which they are far from God. They're not obeying him. They are not worshiping him. And God is faithful to keep his word. He has said what? If you don't follow me, if you don't obey me and worship me, you're going to be taken captive by a foreign pagan nation. And lo and behold, guess what happens? Babylonians come down, they occupy, they burn everything that's important to the children of Israel. They take away stuff, they rob stuff. Ultimately, they get taken captive by this nation of Babylon. They get, they get removed from Jerusalem, they burn the city, they, they pillage it, and it's just left to ruins, and all the people go to live in Babylon. Okay? Now, fast forward 140 years. And lo and behold, a man named Nehemiah gets word that the, that the city of Israel has been, has been burned, pillaged, and the walls have been destroyed. And he goes, oh no, that broke his heart. Because that's where God dwells. And God used a series of events in his life to make him aware of that. And when he became aware of it, he was burdened. I call it a divine burden. You know, and I hope some of you have a divine burden. You know, it, and, and here's how Nehemiah's divine burden came about. He found out about the city. It's the dwelling place of God. He's a worshiper of God. He's a follower of God. He's an obeyer of God. And he says, whoa, wait a minute. While it's on my watch, that cannot happen. We must do something about it. It's not going to happen for me. And, and I'm going I'm to do everything I can to rectify that situation. Now, I hope some of you today discover a divine burden. And you say, you know what? As long as I'm a follower of Jesus, as long as I'm a Christian, as long that's not going to happen. I'm going to do everything I can in order to combat whatever it is that becomes your burden. And so now what does he do? He goes to the king. And now he's, a, he's subservient to the king. And he says, you know, and, and he walks in one day and the king says, oh, man, you look kind of sad. He goes, yeah, well, you know. Things aren't going well back home, you know, where I'm from. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm grieved by this. And, uh, and so, lo and behold, the king says, well, gee, what, what's going on? Well, the city gates are burned and the walls are torn down and everybody, and it's been pillaged, my home city of Jerusalem. And the king says, well, why don't you get some people and go back and fix it? Oh, I could do that? Yeah, I'll give you some letters. You go do that and we'll make funds available to you and you can go, go take care of that. 
Ah, all of a sudden, he gets excited. Now, I don't, I don't know, because he said, I can't live with the city and the condition it's in, because it's God's city, and now I've prayed. And I want you to draw your attention. If you have your Bible, I didn't print this for you, I apologize. But I want you to draw your attention to Nehemiah chapter 1, and starting about verse 4. He says this, this is Nehemiah. Nehemiah writes this. He says, when I heard these things all about the destruction of the city, he said, I sat down and wept. It broke his heart. He said, this can't happen. Not on my watch. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the Lord God of heaven. Then I said, and here's his prayer. Lord, of, Lord the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Now, he's he's hearkening back to the day when God said, you know what, if you love me, if you obey me and worship me, you will be protected and provided for. He says, I know you're the God that made that covenant. I know you're going to do that. And so he says, let your ear be attentive and your eye open to hear the prayer of your servant is praying before you today and night for your servants, the people of Israel. Now, where does he start? He starts here. He says, I confess The sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. He says, I want to get right. Because he knew that the condition that they were in, the captivity that they were in, was because they had not obeyed God and they had not worshipped God. And he confessed that. He said, not only for me, but my fathers, my ancestors, all of us, man, we've choked. And so God, I recognize that and I want you to use me to change the course of history here. Now, Think about this, because that's exactly what he's asking for. He's asking for the power of God in order to change the course of the history of Israel. We no longer want to go in that that direction of, of disobedience and lack of worship. He says this, remember the, uh, sorry, uh, we have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Verse number eight, remember the instructions you gave your servant Moses saying, If you are unfaithful, he remembered this. If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as my dwelling for my name. Where was that place? Jerusalem. And Nehemiah knew, if I pray, if I confess, and we turn back to God, he's going to draw us back to Jerusalem. That's where I need to be so that I can rebuild the city. And so he confesses his sin and he reminds God of the promises that he's made. He knew what God had promised and he counted on God to deliver those promises. He says, they are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servant who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today Now, here's what he's asking for specifically. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. What man? Oh, I was cupbearer to the king. He was the cupbearer to the king, and he knew that he couldn't just pop into the king's office and say, hey, I got a problem. He could only go to the king when he was recognized. And so he forlornly goes before the king, and the king says, hey, what's going on, Nehemiah? You look down. He says, I am down. He says, why are you down? 
Oh, there's my opportunity. God has provided me now an opportunity to tell the king what's going on. Because God does what? He uses people in the most unlikely situations to accomplish the most miraculous things. This pagan king, Babylon, now gives Nehemiah permission to go back with people. Take some people with you. Take the resources you need. Go back and rebuild your city to the great God. Ah, now you think, that's pretty cool. Because Nehemiah obviously is a contractor. No. What was he? He was cupbearer to the king. Now, those of you who like to go on wine tasting tours, you probably think that's a pretty cool job, you know, because he got to taste wine every day before every meal, you know, for the king. And, you know, that'd be pretty cool. Well, no, it wasn't quite like that. The goal of the cupbearer was to make sure the king was not being poisoned. Okay, and so if the cupbearer drank, tasted some of the wine that the king was going to drink and he waited, you know, a couple of minutes and he didn't drop dead, then the king could go ahead and, and drink. Okay, now if he did drop dead, bummer for the cupbearer, but man, what a safeguard for the king. So you always want to, you know, if you're the cupbearer, you always want to, you know, stay alive. And so that's what he was. He didn't have any technical skills in building walls or erecting gates or building stuff or anything like that. He was just an ordinary cupbearer. He was a slave king. And the only reason the king had him there was so that the king wouldn't die. And so you got to say, wow, that's an unlikely source for God to use in order to rebuild Jerusalem, the walls and the gates and all this stuff. But nonetheless, he used him. Now, how many of you, and don't raise your hands, but just think for a minute. How many of you think that, you know, the burden, maybe that divine burden that God's given you, you say, oh man, I would love to do that, but I'm not equipped to do that. I don't have the resources. I don't have the background. I don't have the skills. Nehemiah didn't either. He didn't have the background. He didn't have the skills. He didn't have the resources. He depended on someone else for all of that. What did he have? He had availability. And I pray today that you'll recognize that that's really the only ingredient you need in order to accomplish the big thing that God places before you, that God puts on your heart. All you need to do is be available. And I believe that most of us here have had a big burden, a divine burden placed on us in the past, but we have not yet done it because we didn't think that we had the resources. We didn't think we had the background. We didn't think we had the skills. And so there was, we said, no, God couldn't be in that. I'm not I'm not what's needed. God needs to call somebody else. Nehemiah could have said, oh, I wish he would have called a contractor. You know, some guy that's out there that knows how to build walls, knows how to build gates and hang them and straighten them and do all that stuff. But no, he said, as long as I live, that will not happen to the city that my God dwells in. Okay. And he couldn't, he couldn't just could not stand it. Now, uh, some of you, I think, have a divine burden and you don't even know it yet. Now, uh, and think, Think, what is the thing that really upsets you most in our society? What is it that goes on that you say, oh, that shouldn't go on. That can't go on. And what could, don't ask yourself what you can do. Ask, what could God do with one available person? Because that's what happens here with Nehemiah. One available person. Because your divine burden is going to reveal to you your divine direction. Most of us are still walking around kind of directionless. Because we have this divine burden, and we've never pursued it. We've never pursued it. And God says, this is what I want for you. This is where I called you. This is what, and you say, no, I can't do it. I would rather do something else, God. I can do this, or I can do that. And God says, no, I got this for you. Come on. With my power, my resources, my skills, my technical abilities, I can get this done through you. So don't sell yourself short. You know, I kind of like Popeye, you know. 
Popeye, you know, have you ever seen Popeye? Anybody know Popeye? You know, Popeye's terrific. He, he, he taught me how not to eat spinach. I couldn't stand spinach. But, man, I like Popeye because he says this. I can't stand it no longer. Okay? I like, you know, and, and, he, and, and then he, when he gets to that point, he squeezes the can of spinach, downs it, and then all of a sudden he's ready to go. I pray that some of you have that moment. I can't stand it no longer. Okay? I can't stand it no more. I'm going to do something about it. That's what Nehemiah did. I believe God's calling people in this church to do exactly the same thing. Now, um, what's the first thing that he did? The first thing he did was pray. When you get your divine burden, the first thing I want you to do is pray. Okay? Now, don't pray and say, God, don't negotiate with God. Okay? Prayer is not negotiation. Prayer is saying, I recognize what's happening here. I have a burden to do it. And therefore, God, help me find the next step. Okay, so I've already preached the whole message, but here, we have two fill-ins, and some you A-types are just all messed up right now. Number one, okay, how many A-types do we have here? Okay, right on. Okay, start small. Start small. Have you ever had a big, grandiose idea and said, I could never do that? And because you can't do that, you never get started. Start small. What did, Zach, uh, what did Nehemiah do? He prayed. That's where I want you to start. Pray. Say, okay, God, I've got this burden. I know you have placed this in my heart to do something about it. And now I want to know what to do. Okay? And, and I, need some, I need some stuff. Now, Nehemiah knew what the next step was, right? He couldn't do anything without the king's permission. So he says, uh, logically, he goes, that's the next step. So that's what I'm going to pray for. I'm going to pray for the next step. Here, I'm not, I'm not there yet. Okay, never mind. I'm not going to, you type A's will just have to sit back for a minute. Okay, Zechariah 4.10. The prophet Zechariah says this, Do not despise these small things, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. He rejoices to see the work begin. Don't be embarrassed by starting small. How many of you have, have ever watched a child learn to walk? You know, and, and the cool thing in watching a child learn to walk is watching the parents. Have you seen that commercial on TV? The guy's got his little child and, it, and his little girl, and he's got her in a backpack, actually a front pack, and she's facing forward, and he's going about his business. He's buying stuff with his MasterCard. Don't do that part of the commercial. And he's just going by, picking up this, picking up that. Finally, he picks up a little pair of tennis shoes, and they're red tennis shoes, and the dad's wearing red tennis shoes. And he puts these little red tennis shoes on his little girl, and she's sitting there on the floor. And the mom walks in from the side, and all of a sudden, the little baby gets up and starts walking. And the mom goes, you know, just amazing. Now, how many of you have ever seen... Uh, a baby walk, the first few steps. Yeah, I mean, you're amazed, aren't you? It's kind of like the Frankenstein walk. You know, they're, they're all, you know, it's kind of halting and all that stuff. And, but then, nonetheless, you're amazed. And, and how many of you saw that baby when they first walked, they fell down on their butt? Okay, boom. How many of you saw the parent go, you stupid child, why can't you take another step? You failed, you're never going to make it. Anybody ever see a parent do that? No. But sometimes we think that's what God is like. If we start something and we have a little failure, a little setback, we think he's going to spank us, he's going to ridicule us, he's going to be mad at us. No, God is the perfect parent. And just like a little baby learns to walk, what do we do? We encourage it to do more. We hold its hands and we take them off. We hold them, we take them off, we hold them, take them off. And they're walking, pretty soon they're walking all over the place. And we're asking the question, why did they ever learn to walk? 
you know, they were much easier to keep track of when they couldn't walk. You know, and, and so here we are. And, and we kind of impose on God some things that, that he is not. He's not disappointed with people who start small. He's not disappointed with people who start small and maybe have a setback, but yet keep trudging on. You know what makes God more unhappy is when we quit. When we quit, when we become useless to him. When we're of no value at all because we're so afraid of failure. God says, through Zechariah the prophet, Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. Now, we're learning to follow God. And we have the most patient father in the world. He is patient and patient and patient. And he will allow us to have some setbacks so that we can learn some lessons. But he's not disappointed. He's not hurt. He's not angry. He says, okay, let's learn. Let's make a better step the next time. And the next time, pretty soon we're going to get it down. Pretty soon we're going to start steamrolling. And pretty soon we're going to get down the road to where we need to be. Now, the people of Nehemiah's time, they rebuilt the wall. They rebuilt the wall. But if you go back to the beginning, you'll see a series of singular steps. And these singular steps are taken without knowing what the next step will be. Most of the time, we don't want to get started on something because we want to see the end result. We want to know all the details, and we want to know how we're going to get there. Well, like we said a couple of weeks ago, if we knew that, we might not ever get started. You know? But if we could just narrow it down to what is the next singular step? So let's take Nehemiah. Those of you who've read Nehemiah, help me out with this. Okay, first he prayed, right? Then what did he do? He went and got letters. He let the king know, and the king gave him permission, gave him the resources and stuff. And then what did he do? He packed his toothbrush. He said, okay, I'm ready to go. And then what did he do? He got on a mule probably or a a donkey and made this 800-mile trip from Babylon down down to Jerusalem. And then what did he do when he got there? He rested. And then what did he do? He got up at night without anybody knowing, and he surveyed the walls. Then he came back, and what did he do? He told the people, guess what? We have a great project ahead of us. We have this great project. He didn't do that. You know, it doesn't say that he did that when he was back in Babylon. He just said, hey, let's go home. You know, let's go home. Let's go find out what's going on in Jerusalem. He gets them there, and then he inspires them. And notice what happens here in Nehemiah 2, 17 and 18. He gets the people together after he surveys the walls and finds out, okay, where's the damage? What do we need to do? But now I said to them, you know very well what trouble we are in. Now, what trouble were they in? Not just the decimation of the city, but this road back to God. They had failed to obey. They had failed to worship. And we're in trouble. We're in trouble of our own making. Okay, We're in trouble of our own making. And now it's up to us to do what? To make things right. He says, you know very well what trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. Now, what was the disgrace? That somebody had come and torn up their city? No, that was just the evidence of the disgrace. The disgrace was that they had failed to obey They had failed to worship. And as long as, and God had promised, he says, man, bad things are going to happen. And here's the bad stuff that happened. And as long as this city remains as as it is, it's a testament to our failure to obey and to worship. And so let's get rid of this monument. Okay, let's make it like it's supposed to be. Let's redeem it. Make it back like it should be. In verse 18, 
Then I told them about how the gracious hand of God had been on me and about my conversation with the king. And they replied at once. Okay, so now he says, we got to take care of this. And guess what? God has already paved the way for it to happen. I had a conversation with the king. Here's what he said. Go back, rebuild that, do this, do that. Uh, get the supplies you need. And so, man, nothing could in, empower the people more than that. The king's on our side. Okay, this pagan king in Babylon who once we served and once we're in captivity to has released us now to go back and wipe out the blemish that our disobedience and that our lack of our failure to worship has created. And so they said what? They replied at once. Yes, let's rebuild the wall. So they began the good work. Okay, so how do you do something big? Last week we talked about, you know, the Spirit's prompting. And the Spirit prompted Nehemiah, right? He gave him this divine burden. He prompted him to do something. Okay, and then what did he do? He recognized there's certain uncertainty. I don't know quite what we're into. I don't know the full plan that's going to happen here. But I do know what the next step is. I'm going to pray. I'm going to seek the king's favor. Then I'm going to get my toothbrush. Then we're going to make the trek. Then I'm going to have the people. I'm going to survey the stuff. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to rally the people. And we're going to get to work. Now, remember, he's not a contractor, so he doesn't know, oh, well, we're going to have to do this and do that, cut some stones, do whatever. Okay, so now. Here's some things about your faith. You do not have to have the faith to finish. You do not have to have the faith to finish. And sometimes that's where we get crossed up. We say, I'm going to have to make a commitment to the long term. And I am not opposed to making a commitment to the long term. However, I think you eat an elephant one bite at a time. Have the faith to take the first step. Have the faith to take the first step. And the second thing here is you don't have to have, uh, you do just have to have the faith to start. Let's get started and see what God will do. Now, uh, when God takes you in a direction, he doesn't always give you all the details. Remember last week we talked about there's certain uncertainty. You know, I'm certain God wants me to do this, but I'm not certain about all of the details. I remember when we started this church, uh, we had a, uh, some people in our small group and stuff that, that we were meeting, and, and we would go to churches together you know, we'd just say, oh, next week, let's go to this church, or next week, let's go to that church, or next week, let's go to this church. And so we all travel together, kind of, and, and, and go to church together on Sundays, and it was kind of cool. And I remember sitting in each one of those churches, and, uh, and some of them are really great churches. Some of them are terrific churches. In fact, most of them were terrific churches. And uh, I remember thinking, you know, but if I was doing that, I would do this, or I would do that. Oh, I wish he would have said this. I wish he would have said that. And pretty soon I came to recognize that that was one of those divine burdens God was giving me. Not that these people were doing it wrong by any stretch of the imagination, but God had given me a burden to do something a little different. Maybe incorporate a church a little differently. Maybe have a different emphasis in the church. And so I remember thinking about that. And I said, you know, we got to thinking, you know, I, I threw it out there one night at one of our small groups. And they said, yeah, let's do that. You know, let's start a church. We're tired of going around being vagabonds, and, and uh, you know, and uh, I thought, you know, that was pretty cool, being a vagabond, but, but you know, people were getting tired of going to churches and, and visiting around and, and wanted a permanent place. So I said, well, let's do that. And so I remember, what's the next step? What's the next step? Where are we going to meet? I said, oh, no, I don't know. Yeah. You know, I guess we could meet in somebody's house, maybe clear out their garage. I mean, I don't know, do whatever. Well, no, we need to have a better place where people can come, you know, from all around them. And so I said, okay, well, I'm going to go down. And, and I felt kind of drawn to the, to the marina area. 
And I even thought, you know, Marina Church would be a great, great thing. And I remember when we first started, everybody thought, now when you hear Marina, what do you think of? You either think of the waterfront or you think of the Marina Shopping Center. You know, I can't tell you how many people looked for us at Marina Shopping Center. You know, we had looked over there at some stuff, and it was too expensive for us. And so I thought, well, let's look around here. And there's a place down here on Sacramento Street. It's called the Wednesday Club, Tuesday Club, some, some weekday club, some weekday club. And I remember calling the, the lady and asking if I could, you know, telling her what we were thinking about doing. She said, well, you need to meet with our board. And I thought, uh-oh. And uh, so I showed up on a particular whatever day they have their business meeting. And uh, I walked in, and they have all these chairs set up in kind of this semicircle. And there's like about 15 of them. And 15 ladies sitting there, and I walk in, and they have one chair facing them. I go, that's mine. And so I went and sat down in the chair, and they started asking me questions about what we were. And, man, I was excited about telling them what we wanted to do and start a church and have it be kind of different, you know, not the big corporate machine and all that stuff. And, and, uh, and they said, they just sat there replay, uh-huh, uh-huh, well, yeah, uh-huh. We got all done, and a uh, lady said, uh, well, well, we'll consider that, and we'll get back to you. Uh, but if you find some other place in the meantime, that won't hurt our feelings. <laughs> I said, oh, well, good to feel welcomed and good to feel, you know, valued. And so I said, okay, well, you know, what's my next step? You know, I'm not counting on that too much. And so I left there, came down in front of this, and I saw this building. I said, I wonder. And so I got the phone number off the front. And, and actually, I think I Googled it. And got the phone number and called. And a guy named Dale Herring, many of you know Dale. Uh, he was the manager here at the time. And he was at Costco. And he answered his phone, you know, because he was, you know, on the job. And I told him what we, we were doing and what I would like to do. He goes, I think that would be the most terrific use of that building that we have ever used it for. I said, somebody wants us, <laughs> you know. Oh, it feels so good to be wanted, you know. And uh, I got, oh, yeah. So I met with him, and he goes, oh, yeah, here we just like, I, I think a year before we started, they renovated this whole thing, put new floors in, new walls, everything, and it was all brand new. And he said, we spent like $3.5 million renovating this place and bringing it up to code and all that stuff. And I thought, awesome, awesome. He says, oh, yeah, and we've got all these chairs. I go, oh, we don't have to buy chairs. He says, we've got this projector thing up here that sits so close to the wall. Wall. You can stand right against the wall almost and not even cast a shadow. And I go, awesome, we don't have to have a projector. And he says, and we got a sound system. I go, awesome, we don't have to have a sound system. You know, because I'm thinking all this stuff we're going to have to buy and purchase and lug and buy a trailer and hook it up and bring it every week and unload it and get stuff. And I go, we don't have to do any of that. One step at a time. That's what's gotten us to where we are here today. We are not at the end of our road. Okay? We are not what God wants us to yet become. I'm not saying he's unhappy with us at all. He says, man, you've done good so far. But there are still people out there that need to be in here. People that need to know about the kingdom of God. People that need to know about the love of Jesus. People that need to be incorporated into the church. So what's our next step? Our next step is to see people come. To see people come. Okay? Now, number two for you type A's. And I've been kind of all over the place. I apologize. Take the next step. You didn't figure that one out, did you? Okay? Number one, get started, and then at every juncture, take the next step. All you have to do is have faith to do what? Take one step, and then take one step, 
and then take one step. See what God will do. Now, in Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 19 and 20, uh, the, they, they came across this, this thing that we call predictable resistance. When you follow God, there's going to be resistance. And the children of Israel, you know, rebuilding the walls there in Jerusalem, they've met the resistance. It comes in the person of Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab. They heard of our plan and they scoffed contemptuously. Okay? What that really means is they tried to dissuade us. Okay? They came up and they asked the question, what are you doing? Are you rebelling against the king? And the king is King Artaxerxes of Babylon, the one that had given them permission to come down there. They replied, uh, that, that, and they, they asked that, are you rebelling against the king? I replied, now, what, do you, what would you have done in that situation? I might have said, hey, guess what? We have permission from the king. You can't bully us around. Who do you think you are? But they didn't rely on the authority of the king. What did Nehemiah rely on? The authority of God. He says, I replied, I'm, I'm, going, above, I'm going above the king of Babylon. I'm going above Artaxerxes. I'm going, I replied, the God of heaven will help us succeed. We, his servants, will start rebuilding this wall. But you have no share, legal right, or historic claim in Jerusalem. There's always going to be predictable resistance when you start doing something great for God. That's usually a sign that you're going to do something great for God. Don't quit there because your enemy, Satan, he doesn't want you to do well. Okay? He doesn't want you to succeed. He wants to discourage you at every turn. And so therefore, when you start meeting this resistance, remember, we predicted it. So it's predictable resistance. It's going to happen. Don't be dissuaded by it. You're going to meet it as well. Okay. My burden for our church is that Marina Church becomes very effective. Very effective at creating people who are followers of Jesus Christ. That will go out and do the great things. That do the big things. Okay. That do something that is of noteworthy impact to our society. Now, what's your burden? What's your burden? It might be something as small as losing weight, getting out of debt, becoming more godly. You know, those are all great, admirable things that you might think, gosh, I could never get that done. Get started, pray, and then do the next step, and 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 do the next step. I like what St. Francis of Assisi said. It's there on your program. It says, start doing what is necessary, okay? Do what's necessary, then kind of progress to what's possible. What could I do? What's possible to do here? Progress to that. And then finally, suddenly, you're going to be doing the impossible. Start, take the next step, the next step, the next step, and let's just see what God will do. Now, after the wall was finished, how long did it take him to finish that wall? 52 days. 52 days. It was a monumental task. It took him 52 days to do it. God was all over them. There were times where they had to build with one hand and hold their weapon with the other hand because there was the predictable resistance. They had to guard each other. They had to protect each other. And they could have very easily said, this is too hard. This is too hard. Okay, I can't do it. But no, they, they succeeded. And often we think that when we get done building the wall, that the work is done. No. That's just where the work was beginning for them because they had some other things that they needed to rebuild. They needed to rebuild the temple. 
Okay, the temple was in disarray. They needed to rebuild the economy. They needed to rebuild their culture that would get back to obeying God and worshiping him. They had to rebuild all of that stuff. So the work was just beginning. And when we think we've finished, it just means that we have another big thing to do. Don't ever stop doing big things. Don't ever stop doing that. Galatians 6, 9, it's not in your program, but you might want to just jot that down. Galatians 6, 9 says this. Do not grow weary in doing good. For at the proper time, at the proper time, we'll reap a harvest if we do not give up. At the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. I want you, as we build this church, to never, 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 never give up. Okay, don't give up. Keep doing what we know to do. Keep doing what the next step is. Keep doing what God has placed in front of us. I remember years ago when I was uh, training to be a police chaplain for the Fairfield Police Department, we went, to a, uh, we went to a training, you know, as a conference. And in this conference, this guy was leading us in a, in a small seminar uh, on hand-to-hand combat, you know. You know, I'm thinking, I didn't sign up for that, you know. I'm a, I'm a preacher. You know, I want to talk my way out of it. Let's have a conference on that. You know, I'll talk my way out of it. Uh, but no, they said uh, sometimes. And, and he, he concluded with never, never, never give up when you're in a struggle. Never, never, never give up. And he told this story about a lady in Modesto who was sleeping at night. She was a single lady, lived in her home all by herself. And she slept. It was hot. So she slept with the window open. And she awoke to a man on top of her getting ready to rape her. And uh, she thought to herself, I could give in, you know, and and maybe minimize the damage, or I could fight. And she says, I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to give in. She grabbed whatever she had on her her bed or pillows, whatever, and she started hitting this guy in the back. She's hitting this guy in the back. And pretty soon he starts screaming, ah, and he jumps up. He jumps up and goes out the window. And she goes, oh. And she looked. And she laid her cat down. (laughs) So, never, ever, ever give up. You don't know what you have available to you. You don't know what God is going to make available to you. Make sure that you are available. And when you're available, that's all God needs. Because he has everything else. He's got the cat on your bed. He's got whatever you need. He's got whatever you need. So don't ever, ever, ever give up. Because Jesus didn't give up. You know, Jesus, when he went to the cross, I'm always amazed. You know, that he knows he's going to the cross. He knows he's going to die. He knows he's going to be crucified. And I'm thinking, man, I got to, if it's me, I'm thinking, you know, me. I want to go to the seminar that talks my way out of it. You know, and Jesus could have talked his way out of it. You know, he could have called down 10,000 angels, rescued him. He could have done whatever he wanted, you know, but he didn't. He knew what he needed to do for the next step because the next step was a big step. And he went to a cross to die for all the sin that we've committed. He paid for it because God is a God of justice. And he says, sin must be punished. And Jesus said, oh, that the way they're going to be punished is they're going to spend eternity separated from God. I do not want that. And so I'll take the punishment for them. I'll pay their crime. And he did. He went to a cross and died for us. When I think about what it cost him and what it's costing me to do my thing for God, I mean, the price is far different. And so today, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, I want you to know that he loves you so much. That's what we're going to tell our our waitress today. We're giving this to you because God loved us. We love you. 
And we know he loves you too. And so we want you to have this. Do with it what you want. But God has given us new life. And I pray that we would make use of that new life. That we would commit ourselves to follow him. That we would obey him and worship him. Those two things are all it takes. Obey him and worship him. Obey him not because he's got rules that make it hard. But obey him because he knows what's good for us. He knows what's good for you. And so the, the fences are good. You know, when kids grow up, it's important for them to know where the boundaries are. Because if they cross the street without looking, they could get killed. And the same thing is true for us. God makes some fences for us to keep us safe, keep us protected. And he wants us to worship him.